All right, and I'm joined today with uh, Dave Meter, or David Meter. I mean, pianist, uh, philosopher. I'm getting, learning more and more about, and and well spoken and cultured and just everything, man. How are you? Uh, how are you doing as of late? I'm doing well. I'm I'm feeling more cultured every day, <laughs> <laughs> man. And and I I mean that sincerely though. It was one of those things where. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know as many other people's, uh, interpretations of it, but it's like, man, it was Dave meter, like the killing pianist, you know? And then as I got older, it was like Dave meter. Okay. This cat can also write pretty well too. You know, he puts together a killing band. And then now I'm like, man, Dave meter, we, we think about some subjects, we talk about some things and that's kind of the, the theme of this new record, if you will, Unamuno songs and stories where you kind of really delve into this, uh, I mean, I mean, deeper and, and heavier subject than I think a lot of people usually uh, do, you know? Yeah, and that was part of the rationale for calling it songs and stories is that the idea is a counterintuitive idea these days, but the idea that the liner notes and the story behind the album and the stories behind the songs are equally as important as the music itself. So how did you... How how did you get into this? How did you discover this? Because Miguel de Unamuno, who the the entire album's about, and his 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 writings and everything there is, I mean, f- not necessarily a good thing, but I don't think it's something that generally came up in in school, you know, unless maybe you studied Spanish history or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Miguel de Unamuno is not widely known in the United States. Um, I only discovered him and his work. First of all, he's he's a philosopher, a poet, a writer. He was a professor, an academic, and um, it, it, we're talking turn of the century Spain, right? So late 1800s into early 1900s, which was kind of a tumultuous period in that country's history, in that it was going through multiple um, kind of oscillating movements between dictators and then they would have a republic or a democracy for a while and then it would go back to a dictatorship and but so he was living and writing in a time where where the Spanish people were constantly kind of wrestling with this idea of what kind of government do we want what what kind of government can deliver us the kinds of things that we need in our society and so I discovered his writing when I was in college I was studying music, but I was also studying Spanish, and I was mm-hmm. also studying political science. Oh, wow. So Unamuno, when, when I first discovered his writing, I was like, okay, this is somebody who, who lives literally at the intersection of all three of these areas for me. He was obviously one of the, one of the great writers in Spanish history, so of course I was reading his work. He was reflecting on a lot of complicated and really relevant political issues, namely the relationship between democracy and authoritarianism. So that really excited me about his writing. And then, but there's also just such a natural cadence and, and, and music in his work too. He, he writes all kinds of your stereotypical love poems and things like that, but they all have, there's, there's music in it. So I just, I, I, I just loved his work since since I discovered it in college, but I never did anything with it um, until last year. 
you know, we had a very complicated election, to put it mildly. Um, well, it actually wasn't complicated. It was not a complicated election. It was the it was the the media's and and the kind of misinformation surrounding it. Right. And it just reminded me instantly of of Unamuno and the context that he was living in, in uh, turn of the century Spain when we were when they were dealing with these 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 grappling forces of of who wants Spain to be a democracy and who wants it to be a right wing dictatorship. You know things like sure. that. So I just started reading more and more and getting back into it, and that was sort of the genesis of how a lot of these pieces came about. How did it? How did it feel to revisit that eight years later or something, or nine or ten years later and whatnot? Yeah. Because I think we're all—I mean, in college, we think we know a lot more than we do, everybody included, you know. But then that—that's a heavy thing to read about, you know. And then now you're coming back to it eight years later. You're—you're you're a professor yourself. You've been around the world a lot more. You've been dealing with stuff, I'm sure, like just personal growth, musical growth and whatnot. Now you're revisiting something like as heavy as as that time era, you know, as what he would have been writing about. Right. It, I definitely enjoyed reading Una Muno's works in college, but it didn't carry the same relevance. Yeah. It didn't hit home in the same way that it does now in our current political context here in the United States. You know, things things were not as crazy back in 2011 or 2010 when I was first getting into that stuff. Um, but now I read it with, with a whole new set of eyes and a whole new set of um, cultural reference points, right? Right. Do you think, uh, and this is an interesting, I guess, philosophy and historian perspective on it, but... Um, do you think that we're going to see this country, like the, the states, you know, because we're a young country at the end of the day. We're, we're not that old. Do you think we're going to see like um, the modern revisitation of maybe what a lot of these other countries went through, you know, seeing uh, conceptually things like Unamuno and, and how it could be applicable today and, and then maybe further events that, that happen over in Europe, some of the older organizations and, and how we're going to deal with it in modern society? Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to be careful with with my role here as as an artist, somebody who's putting out this music. I, I, I definitely, and I say this in the liner notes too. I definitely don't want to um, try and 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 say that America is becoming like Spain before they dropped into civil war. <laughs> right. I don't want to. I'm not. Uh, I'm not making wild claims like that, but. But I'm just noting the similarities in context. And um, so all that being said, I mean, I, I write in the liner notes, too. It seems, it seems pretty normal that young countries go through a lot of growing pains. Right. So I certainly hope that we don't experience the same kind of, kinds of political upheavals that other countries have gone through in their long histories. But... I guess it's certainly a possibility. Now for you then, as you know, you read all this and you, you have to sit with it and understand it. Um, but when you decided to take it and make it an album, you know, and, and a work, how do you deal with that compositionally? Because I think a lot of people that are checking things out, especially in their younger years, like they're just getting that grasp of, let me have a happy thing. 
and a sad thing, you know, in conveying that musically or conveying, you know, maybe the concept of like romance and whatnot. And now we're talking about things much more complicated than maybe just getting across like an illicit or, or, or a simple emotion, you know, a very complex emotion, but it's something that can easily at least be like, all right, I see where they're getting from there. Now we're talking about works like these, you know, how do you, how do you visit that musically and how do you approach that, if you will? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think I, I'm just, I'm approaching it. I have the freedom to approach it how I want. And I think that's the most important thing. I am obviously releasing this on outside in music, but I'm, you know, I'm not releasing it on a label that, that dictates what I can and can't play. Sure. I don't have any aesthetic guideline. You know, you guys have not imposed any aesthetic guidelines on me or anything. I'm not beholden to any financial interest here. I'm just right. I'm just writing what I want to write. And that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful place to be in, in this modern industry. So I'm, I'm, I'm just approaching it literally however I want for each piece. And I don't necessarily have to worry about making quote unquote, feel good music. Although I, d I do hope the music makes you feel good, but yeah, but I also think, I also hope the music makes you feel bad and I hope it makes you feel scared and I hope it makes you feel angry, angry. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily buy into this idea of feel good music in these crazy times that we're living in. I think we need to be, we need to be waking up and we need to be examining our surroundings and we need to be engaged in maintaining our democracy here. And that's not always feel good. Right. <laughs> right. In fact, it's, it's, it's feel bad a lot of times, but it's, it's feeling tired. It's feeling overwhelmed. So, I hope you get all that in, in the music, and, and that's kind of how I approach the piece. It's just not trying to filter it through any sort of um, commercial or aesthetic boundary that's being imposed on me here. Right. Now, with something, uh, you know, obviously, he wrote a lot of things, <laughs> and he said a lot of things. How did you find yourself picking which ones you felt were like, this, this one stands out more to me, I want to use this, you know, and I want to use this one in, in another way as you're going through it. Cause like you talk about this again in your liner notes, a lot of the, the tracks are informed by something very, very specific with Unamuno. So it was there like a certain pecking order, if you will, or would you say that these are just maybe some of his more well-known ones or like, how does that relate for you? I think most of the ones I selected are, are his most well-known ones, but there's, there's a couple that are probably not that well-known that I just discovered. I can't even remember how I discovered them, but uh, the ones I picked were just the most striking to me. They had some sort of striking characteristic, something that just made me really pause. Like the idea of um, the lake and the mountain, the track mm -hmm. featuring Miguel Zenon, um, is about a, a priest of a small village who actually doesn't believe in God. but And yet he's this venerated, he's this famous, he's well-known throughout the whole country and people make pilgrimages to this visit, to this village to visit this specific priest who's supposed to be the most pious and the most God-fearing priest in the land, and he actually doesn't believe in God at all. 
he doesn't he doesn't believe in any sort of afterlife or anything so th i mean that just on its surface you can dig into the details and analyze it all you want but that just on its surface is like a very interesting idea a very striking idea and so that was something that grabbed my attention it was like this is something i could i could work with musically yeah with when you do something like this too right because i think like there's there's so many levels to something like this i think to do well that requires more than just like i'm going to show up and play a tune you know and then obviously you pick like this great band of uh of marty jeff and then uh michael Piolette, uh philip dizak is featured i think on two tracks and then miguel like you're just saying um what's that like to bring this to the band then is this one of those things where like you do sit down and have like more of a conversation piece to piece, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the same as just, let me set just friends in front of you, you know, and like, boom, and let's go. Uh, and it's not even, I don't know if, if I would equate it to just playing a cat's original, you know, because you definitely have like an intention behind each one. And I think you talked about that some in the liner notes too, like being able to trust a cat to, to, to take it from point A and help you arrive to point B, you know, but how did that go? Yeah, I mean, we did have to talk about the vibe. I I didn't necessarily give every musician every backstory to every piece because that sometimes I feel that can be um, more restricting in some senses. Mm -hmm. I, but I but I did give them a general idea. Like this is this is the intention. This is the purpose of your solo. It's not just a set of chord changes. You're not just blowing here. You're taking the piece from this vibe. And you have to end at this vibe because then we go into this next thing, right? Right, and that's that's what's so important about it. And and you know, I did give them some general indications, but we did not actually sit down and go over all of these complicated idea, political ideas before each piece. But how did you how did you work on that as a musician? Because like when you say something like that, uh, you know, a, a band to me that sticks out is like the Fellowship Band where mm -hmm. stuff is like, it's very through composed or maybe even like Chick Corea trio stuff where it's very through composed and sure like cats might play over similar changes or the same changes, but it, there is no like cycle to it. You know, like there is like, this is the first one. And then we move on to something new with that next one. And we move on to that. And I mean, I think that's something that is a, is a, sure. We might talk about it in school with younger musicians or whatnot, but it, it's, it's a, more difficult concept i think to sometimes grasp on there yeah and i and i was also thinking particularly of uh, maria schneider and yeah her writing and that's that whole kind of lineage bob brookmeyer gil evans yeah they i think are really adept at making solos seem like part of the composition and not something separate um, I think it was, I think I had read somewhere, Mar Maria was quoting Bob Brookmeyer. She said, Bob said something like, you always have to keep a hold on the soloist. And that, that, I think that, that sticks with me to this day. It's like, I, I want to keep some level of control, not in a dictatorial kind of way, but some <laughs> level of, of influence right. Right, over, over the soloist. Because at the end of the day, it's still my composition and and. I'm the one trying to get an idea across. So, yeah, you have to find the right person to work within those parameters. 
How do you do that? Because here's the thing too, is, is I think with you being a pianist, you know, you, that might be a little bit more direct, you know, because then you can also, not only do you write it and talk about it if you do, but then you can actually like control it while you're playing, you know? So is that something where, where, where you think of it almost as like, well, let me not be as reactionary here, but actually let me provoke them more or, or direct them if you will to like certain, certain ideas while we are playing, you know, do you feel more um, like interplaying off of each other, you know, almost like what that modern jazz trio sounds like, you know, sometimes I'll try to be more, sometimes I'll try to stir the pot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and get something going. But uh, part of the reason why I, I did not give the musicians the full backstory to each tune is because I want to be open to things that they'll bring as well. Um, sometimes I can get so far in my own head and I can get so detailed about how I want a piece to go that I, it, it just, I get frustrated and if it doesn't turn out exactly like that. So I've been trying to, to force myself to be more open to ideas from bandmates and things like that. And like, for instance, I think that happened the most on Augusto's Dilemma, this track called Augusto's Dilemma, the second track on the album. I uh, had, had finished that piece and, and just couldn't really play it well <laughs> and and really depended on on the guys to to give it an identity that and it ended up being a piece that i hadn't expected it to be but i love it you know how do you how do you deal with that because i think that that's something that's not specific to this record in general i think a lot of cats um maybe more so in jazz because like in you know in, in classical like if i'm gonna go play the Haydn trumpet concerto to a degree, I know how that's going, you know, but with this, it's like, I think so many people spend so much time waiting, like, oh man, I'm not playing over this tune perfectly. Or like this composition just doesn't feel right yet. Like, how do you work on knowing, like, when is it time to maybe call it quits for now and just go with it? And then sure, revisit it later. But for now, like I've wrapped up what I need to, because you can rework something until it's dead, you know? Yeah, it, that, that's been a learning process for me, just learning yeah. to let things go. I think it helps that I'm also um, a lot busier these days than I was five or ten years ago, so I just don't have the time <laughs> to rework everything. Honestly, I mean, it's a very practical answer, but that's that's the truth of it. It's like, I just don't have time anymore to obsess over things the way I used to, and I actually think that's a good thing. Hmm. Do you... Um... Now, I guess on the flip, you know, coming to you like with your professor hat on, you know, how do you maybe um, work on that with your students? Because I, I would, if I was a betting man, I would say you might have to try and evoke the opposite reaction, you know, maybe get them to obsess a little bit more over something to make sure they're really taking it in, you know, or, or like really diving into like how a cat play, like how did Oscar Peterson play or how did so Bud Powell play or something like how do you elicit that as well? Hmm. Yeah, it's different for every student. I mean, there are certainly some of them who who obsess too much. Right. And I, I do try to pull them back away from that cliff. 
because I think I think that's a, a dangerous road to go down if you get too self-absorbed and too self-obsessed with what you're playing all the time. Uh, but of course there are others that don't obsess nearly enough and, and that's when I have to be more prescriptive as a teacher. I have to say, okay, you, you have to do this for next week. You have to study this Hank Jones solo. And <laughs> some of them will say, who's Hank Jones? And that's problem number one, right? But so it's just... Uh, I, I love I love teaching, and uh, I I love kind of building my own repertoire of techniques to deal with all these different kinds of students because every single one is different. Yeah. Do you uh, you know I know you talk about being busy, and obviously some of that comes into playing gigs, you know, making money and teaching and living and I don't know, eating food, like everything else that goes into it. <laughs> but what do you do when you're not doing music? You know, cause I'm sure the other thing that you found with trying to dial back in that, that obsession is like, you need to get away from it, you know, and you need to be able to do some other things that are not, I'm at the piano, I'm writing or I'm playing and, and, and balancing it all out. Yeah. Um, I, I exercise a lot. I run a lot. I, I work out a lot. Um, I'll, I'll out myself here as, as uh, someone who does CrossFit. I'm one of those <laughs> crazy cultish people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm also trying to train for a triathlon sometime over the next year. That's, that's my release. So your release is then also uh, pushing yourself to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's. I mean, yeah, sometimes, but it can also be relaxing in a way. Yeah. When I run, I definitely don't listen to music. I just, I like to listen to podcasts and things like that. That was going to be my next question because I know, like, I don't know about you. I have friends that can, you know, listen to music when they go to fall asleep or something. And it's just like, I, I can't, like, you, you just can't, you can't shut it off all the time, man. If you start listening to stuff like that. No, I like to I like to listen to stuff that has nothing to do with music. I mean, a lot of times I'm listening to to politics, to political debates, um, debates on on the issues that we're all facing today, debates that expose both sides. Um, just just things that keep me thinking, and I think all that plays into my music indirectly. Certainly, I mean, it certainly has on this album. Just meditating on all these political and social issues that we've been dealing with as a country over the past year. I guess a lot of that is coming from the, the podcasts and all the material that I'm digesting um, outside of music, outside of practicing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you know the answer to this one, man, but uh, with that, right. And obviously we're, we're in today's world. And I mean, and yesterday's world, we were talking about a lot of things that, were uh, were and are very important and especially very volatile to some degree. How do you um, how do you find the balance between reminding yourself of it and it being something on your your thoughts, but also being able to, you know, take a step back from it and whatnot? Because I think some people it's it can be so uh, they feel so passionately about one thing that it then almost engulfs their entire life and everything that they do then becomes a reflection upon that and balancing that, you know, cause like, obviously there are some very important things like civil rights and things of that nature, but then there's also like, 
you know, if you spend every single second of every single day constantly thinking about that and the perils that are going on, you're, you're missing out on a lot of beautiful things as well. You know, how have you found um, balancing that and, and, and living while also learning and, and growing while also, you know, being for lack of a better word? Yeah, I don't know if I can give a great answer, but I think for everyone, it's going to be a little different. I mean, everybody has their level of social consciousness, I guess you could say. I think all I'm trying to do on issues like civil rights, on issues like maintenance of democracy, protecting democracy, on issues of women's rights and reproductive rights and every, everything we're dealing with, I'm realizing that I am not actually the, the one to speak on these things with authority, mm. not being a person of color, not being a woman, right? But that, uh, <clears throat> it doesn't absolve me from working on these issues. So if all I can do is raise awareness, raise consciousness, raise alarms with this album. Because that's, that's what I am trying to do in a sense, is raise alarm bells. Right. right. Ring the alarm bells here. Trying to pull people out of this notion that, that everything is going to be okay. Because we're really on the edge of a cliff here. And I may not be the right kind of person to speak directly to these issues. But what I can do is at least say, okay, here's what I've dealt with. Here's this historical context in Miguel de Unamuno that I'm familiar with. Here's another angle for you. Here's what could happen to us if we don't stay engaged. If we don't treat these issues as everyday issues, not just, not just like after George Floyd, everybody was so so ready to to make change and make positive change and and i just i don't see that kind of energy anymore right 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 or, or right now after the the texas abortion law that was just passed everybody's fired up right, right. how are you going to sustain that what can we do to sustain that so i'm just one i'm just one piece here i'm just one tiny little artist in one small corner of the world making one little album that I don't even know how many people will listen to. And even the ones who listen to it, I don't know how many of them will even check out the liner notes or have any idea of what it's about. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, yeah. but it's what I can do. And, uh, and that's, that gives me comfort and, and solace. It doesn't absolve me from keep from staying in the fight. Right. But it just, yeah. it allows me to say, okay, I'm, I'm doing something here. Well, and, uh, you know, speaking on one corner of the world, man, how does it, uh, how does it feel then to also be a Fulbright scholar? And you're going to, you're going to Egypt. That's a whole, that's a whole nother ball game of, of learning <laughs> culture and, and, and the music of the area and, and everything there, you know, how did that, how did that come to, you know, are you, I'm sure you're stoked, but like, what's the, what, what's that going to look like for you? Do you think, you know, like what, what is, what do you hope to gain from that and, and, and hope to incorporate there? 
Um, yeah, so I've, I've known about the Fulbright program for many years. This is a program offered through the United States State Department. It's, it's been, I think it was established in the 1940s as a way of um, promoting cultural exchange and mutual understanding between countries. And uh, so I've known about it for a while and I've always wanted to apply. So I applied to a program out of Egypt, which will send me there for four months in 2022, basically our spring semester. Right. And um, I proposed a course on jazz improvisation, which was accepted. So I, I believe I'll be teaching Egyptian music students at the Cairo Conservatory a semester-long course on jazz improvisation. Uh, so that's something I'm really pas passionate about. It's what I teach at UNT. At UNT, I also coordinate the improvisation curriculum, which is a four-semester thing for our undergraduates. Hmm. So I'm always interested in ways of, of teaching students how to improvise. And I try to do it without a lot of theory and books and methods and things like that. I try to just treat it as a, a natural language. So part of what I proposed for this Egypt teaching project is just um, helping me to experience a new way of teaching improvisation, which is to students who don't speak English, who don't have any concept of jazz, who don't have maybe even background in Western music. So I'm, I, I'm looking forward to the experience of, for the first time in my life, trying to teach students jazz without having all those um, prerequisite things that students usually have. The givens or something. The givens, right? The givens in jazz education. We assume students come in with a working knowledge of Western music theory. We assume they come in with an understanding of jazz. Right. What happens if you try to teach it without those givens? Man, that is... We'll find, that is find out. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. You know, it's going to be uh, challenging and, and giving perspective and, and whatnot there. But, you know, besides this record coming out, what else? Uh, and besides going to Egypt, let's not, let's not uh, forget that. We got this album. Let's see. Today's September 30th. This comes out in really just a month. October... Uh, 29th we got a new single tomorrow um what else is going on for you where are you playing coming up where are you where are you doing things coming up uh where can cats find you yeah so uh i'm, I'm about to post a lot of tour dates that we have coming up for the album we're coming to um let's see we're coming to California for a couple of days where we'll, we'll be doing our official CD release at the Soapbox Gallery in Brooklyn, New York, which I'm particularly excited about. This is a really beautiful, beautiful new venue in New York City that uh, I hope people will um, support and, and come check out. And then we're going to the Midwest, Chicago, Indianapolis, Detroit, and... Um, Wrapping, wrapping it up with some dates in Florida in January, and then I'm off to Egypt, so the, the oh, tour wow. will be on hold. Talk about a good reason to be on hold, though. You know, that's going to be, uh, <laughs> that'll be something. Well, man, I uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking. I really encourage everybody, uh, when you do check this out, uh, check out the liner notes because it definitely, uh, I mean, look, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I know I am a jazz musician, but I don't, I enjoy reading that stuff. And, and 
to me that that adds that extra factor of, of like seeing a cat in concert where they can then actually tell it to you and you got to listen to it. So I would read it, learn some more about it. Uh, if you're not going to read it, that's fine. The music's killing though. So <laughs> you'll enjoy it. But uh, thanks so much for coming on again, Dave. Yeah. And Alan, the liner notes for those of you listening, they're at davemeter.com slash unamuno, which is U-N-A-M-U-N-O, unamuno. And for anything, they got great pictures too. Like it's, it's a very immersive experience to go through those liner notes. Yeah. Shout out to Adrian Tillman who did all the photography, who did the amazing album cover, which I I don't think I've ever seen an album cover. So uh, (laughs) equal parts, beautiful and disturbing at the same time, but it's it's just, it's a, I'm just so pleased with it. So shout out to him and shout out to you, Alan and Nick Finzer and all the, all the team outside in for, for being such a supportive label and, and really supporting artists without imposing aesthetic restrictions on them. That's, I think that's a valuable thing. And I just want to say how thankful I am to you guys for that. Obviously, obviously man, all of you, uh, all of you cats uh, are interesting. You all bring your unique thing, you know, so I don't need to hear 30 records a year with my take on it. I would, I don't need to hear four, you know, but uh, check that out. So Dave meter, dot com slash uh unamuno u-n-a-m-u-n-o check out the videos i mean there is there's even a video up there of of one of his speeches you know it's it'll be a really really cool thing to be able to go through while you're listening to it and uh and checking out the album which will be out the 29th uh spotify deezer apple music amazon dave's website i mean everywhere Napster, if people still do that, you know, everywhere where music is, it'll be out. And uh, looking forward to it, man.